What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Thanks for being here. It's Tuesday, April 27, 2021. We begin with new guidance from the CDC on masks. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the CDC has spoken. <laughs> what have government authorities told us from on high? Well, here you go. The CDC says fully vaccinated people can venture outdoors without masks. Uh, basically, this applies to fully vaccinated individuals. Uh, health officials classify these individuals. Basically, uh, if you've had the second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines, two weeks have to go by and then you're fully vaccinated. Also, uh, two weeks after the single dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So vaccinated people can unmask for example, when they're doing physical activities outdoors alone, or maybe you've got some members of the household, or you're walking, you're running, you're hiking, you're attending a small gathering. This is according to the CDC. And by the way, you can do that with fully vaccinated people, or how about this? Thank you, CDC. A mixture of unvaccinated people as well, the UVPs, as I like to call them, uh, dining at outdoor restaurants with friends, multiple households. You can do all of that, uh, though current guidelines on vaccinated people indoors and traveling still applies more of on all of this at justthenews.com. All right, uh, we, let's move on to other news now. We begin with this question. Is President Biden, oh, hello, gentlemen. Uh, is President Biden the new FDR? Or is he the new modern-day champion for liberals, basically? Is he using today's COVID crisis as the new Great Depression, excuse me, the Great Depression to ram through economic and social change or on the other hand, is he a downright liar who promoted unity and bringing the country together, but instead is steamrolling America into a liberal utopia and acting more like Karl Marx? Well, I'm sorry. That's what a lot of folks feel at this moment in time. So will uh, Joe Biden address Congress exactly about all of his liberal utopia ideas? Probably not. Don't think he's going to phrase it that way, but he is going to address the nation finally for the first time in what uh, is technically a state of the, or is technically not a state of the union, but pretty much is a state of the union. More in a moment. Uh, plus the 2020 U.S. Census. On the surface, some potentially good news for Republicans as the political map gets redrawn. What does it mean for the 2022 midterms? The GOP seems to be in a great position to recapture the majority in the House. We will explore. And Democrats love to talk about voter suppression and how Republicans want to take America back to the days of Jim Crow. But a prominent African-American leader is saying, you know, uh, give me a break. He says it's bogus. It's a bogus line of attack from Democrats. He's going to be here to discuss all of that. Uh, Democrats clearly playing the race card. They're using it as a political weapon. So stick around for that. But first, we begin with President Biden and his speech to the nation Wednesday night. Uh, Thursday will be his 100th day in office. So what should we make of what he's done so far? I want to get some insight from historian Doug Weed. And he's also the New York Times bestselling author. He has a, his latest book is called Inside Trump's White House, The Real Story of His Presidency. Doug, great to see you again, sir. Hey, good to see you, David. 
Well, look, first off, what should we expect from Biden's first uh, State of the Union address tomorrow? I mean, I know it's not technically called a State of the Union, but that is, in essence, what it is. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're already, they've got this pattern, David, that they keep repeating over and over, the White House, the Biden White House. They leak before a major announcement like this or a major speech like this that he's going to call for national unity. But they've been saying that from the beginning of his presidency and his first comments to the nation as president were an attack on his opponent sounded like he was the bitter loser instead of the winner. It, it shocked people. And then he attacked all, all of his supporters. Usually you attack the opponent as in war. You'll attack the leaders of the country, but you'll say we're not against the Iranian people, just your leaders. But in this case, uh, Biden has consistently been calling his opponents names. He's, in Texas, they were Neanderthals. Uh, when he first became president, they were terrorists. So uh, we hope this time, maybe this speech, he'll live up to the leaks coming out of the White House and he'll actually call for unity and say something nice. Right. about all Americans. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not banking on it. I am curious to get your take on his promise of unity in a moment. I want to play for you. I was at the White House yesterday in the White House briefing room. I asked Jen Psaki specifically about his promise of unity. Here's some of that exchange. I'll get your reaction on the other side. Interesting. Hi, David. Hey, Jen. Hey, a question on unity. Um, you know, you talk about earlier, you said you wanted to bring, or the president wanted to bring the country back. Uh, together. So I guess the question is, uh, he has not met with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, according to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, what does that say about unity? And also there are some other legislative issues as it relates to H.R. 1 and a commission to study uh, packing the Supreme Court, as you would say. Uh, and there's a lot of other lists as well, budget reconciliation. So there's a lot of folks, you talk about tens of millions of people, they're concerned about that this doesn't seem like unity at all. Do you think tens of millions of people are concerned about him not meeting with Kevin McCarthy? No, I think tens of millions of people are concerned about H.R. 1 and budget reconciliation and going with a 50-vote uh, threshold. I think I'm that not was sure the polling bears that out, but I will say yeah. that the president's view is that bringing the country together is bringing the American people together. So when I say he's uh, he is focused on uh, re bringing you know bringing people together, bringing Democrats and Republicans together, he's not talking about solving bipartisanship in the, this zip code here. He is talking about proposing policies that address the crises that we're facing, whether it's getting the pandemic under control, putting people back to work. A lot of those policies he's proposed, whether it's the American Rescue Plan or the American Jobs Plan, are supported by the vast majority of the American public, Democrat, Republican, independent. They certainly want to see him working with with Republicans and Democrats uh, and here. And he's, he's absolutely doing everything he can to do that. He's had a number of Republicans down here to the Oval Office. Uh, he's looking for it. We're, we're going to be reviewing their proposals. And I think certainly people see that, see him rolling up his sleeves and ready to work with people of all different viewpoints. So, Doug, I'm curious to get your take because she said that he's not concerned about bipartisanship within the zip code, as in so he, should, he doesn't care about bipartisanship in, in Washington. Isn't that where laws are made? I'm confused. Talking about half the country, David, 50 percent. I mean, Democrats claim that they love diversity, but they start by eliminating half the country. They could do a lot towards unity by correcting the Democrats who've called for re-education camps. A former Secretary of Labor thinks that everybody who voted 
uh, for Donald Trump should go to a re-education camp. That's half the country. Uh, celebrity journalists like Katie Couric has said they need to be reprogrammed. Uh, Eugene Robinson of the Washington Post has said these people, these voters, half the country needs to be reprogrammed. He could start uh, Joe Biden president by uh, denouncing that and saying, of course not. Everybody has a right to free speech and a right to their opinions. We welcome all Americans. We want to unify all Americans. But he has not done that, and I don't expect him to. Yeah. What about from a historical standpoint? We've heard all of these comparisons to uh, FDR and, you know, I guess the Great Depression, right? And FDR put all of it, you know, took the crisis and, and, and did a lot of government expansion. What's your sense about these these early comparisons to FDR? This seems a bit bizarre to me. Am I am I wrong? Well, I agree with you. I, this is like an Orwellian nightmare to me. <laughs> I mean, he he's betrayed his uh base, the suburban women who were offended at Trump and went with Biden. He promised he would open the schools K through eight. Now he said he won't open the schools K through eight. He's he's uh, signed an executive order. So young boys can now go into girls restrooms if they feel like a girl. He's ruined, dashed the hopes of those suburban women, their daughters ever being in the Olympics by allowing young men to compete as women. Uh, it it, and the the two plus two equals five. <laughs> there he is on national TV saying there was no vaccine when I became president. And the national media is absolutely silent, even though he himself was vaccinated under President Donald Trump. It's a stunning uh, set of events, yeah. uh, in my humble opinion. As we wrap up, did he sucker millions of Americans here? He did not run as a, as President AOC. He did not run as a liberal crusader in the in the general election. And here he is uh, ramrodding all of this stuff through. Uh, did he lie to the American people? Well, he did and he didn't. He did some things that he promised he'd do. He stopped the wall, which has caused the border crisis. Uh, he lied about all those anti-Semitic people that would be appointed to his government. He did appoint many of them. He's tilted towards Iran. Uh, so in many ways, uh, he's disappointed his supporters who thought that he was going to be more moderate than he was. So AOC is very, is very, very happy he's coming through for her. That's right. Doug Weed, presidential historian. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Doug. Thanks, David. All right. Uh, great perspective from Doug Weed. Uh, and, and he's absolutely right. And the, here's the question. Uh, will it come back to haunt not just Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in 2024? I mean, we're, we're a ways away from that. Uh, but what about just in the short term? Uh, the, the suburban moderates, if you will, did, did they get uh, hoodwinked uh, here? Because they were buying a bill of goods from Joe Biden to say he was going to be this candidate of unity and this candidate that was going to be kumbaya and bring people together. And guess what? I mean, can I do a sound effect? How do you, how do, you do a sound effect where you go, like, uh, down the toilet? Can I get a toilet sound effect? It didn't happen. Madison's saying we don't have a toilet sound effect. Back in a moment. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Joe Biden gives his State of the Union. That's not a State of the Union, but come on, it is a State of the Union uh, on Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Can't wait. It's either that or watch paint dry. I am still deciding. Uh, I'll let you know. Hey, joining us now, uh, Vernon Jones, a gubernatorial candidate down in Georgia. to going to take on uh, uh, Brian Kemp there in the primary. Uh, Vernon, great to see you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, it's Joe Biden's state of confusion. That's what he's giving. <laughs> hey, you need to go down to the trademark office. You got to trademark that. Hold on, I'm going to write that down. I'm gonna, I might steal that on live television <laughs> here. State of confusion. I like. Hey, so so before we get into the Georgia uh, race down there for governor, give, give me kind of this uh, overview, 30,000 foot view of a uh, Biden's first 100 days. It's coming up on Thursday. Some would say Karl Marx's first 100 days. But g give me a sense of wh where we're at on this. Well, first of all, first of all, I would say the American people feel as though his first 100 days was really a disaster. He created more crises. For example, look down at the border. There was no crisis there. He created that crisis. When you have literally thousands are now coming over illegally, we're spending millions of dollars to house them. And worse, worse than that, they're not catching and returning. They're catching and releasing. And they stop the building, stop building the walls. So look at what's happening there, that, that crisis. But also look what he's doing in terms of supporting Antifa and Black Lives Matter and not supporting law enforcement. You're seeing now literally more and more attacks on law enforcement officers, even when they do what they're supposed to do, when there's use of force involved. And Joe Biden wants to sit on the sideline and not condemn those groups that are literally even celebrating his 100 day by destroying people's property and government properties and burning more cities. And so Joe Biden has been a, a complete disaster, if you ask me and many others. And so uh, um, I, I believe clearly that people see the difference between he and President Trump. President Trump came on putting this country back in order and putting America first. And Joe Biden is now putting America last, including those of us who live here, who work hard each and every day, who have small businesses, those who who care about a, about school choice and, and quality uh, life, and at the same time, uh, communities that are safe. Um, Joe Biden is just going the opposite direction. He's a disaster. You, met, you mentioned business owners, and it made me think of a Fox News headline. We saw you on Fox News the other day. Uh, this is what uh, you were telling them. Biden's trip to Georgia is slapping the face to business owners because that's where he's going after his uh, State of the Union, that's, or State of Confusion, as you call it. Uh, what, what, explain to us why exactly he shouldn't set foot in the state of Georgia. Well, first of all, the irony of saying, I should say of talking about, or Jim Crow talking about, or no, let me reverse that. Joe Crow talking about Jim Crow. The <laughs> irony of that, as a matter of fact, you and I both know that that law, the new voter ID law in Georgia did nothing to suppress voters, but Joe Biden made a comment. He called it J Jim Crow on, on what, 2.0 and all that stuff. But at the same time, Joe Biden also said that he didn't want Major League Baseball to come to Georgia. Now let's think about it. If Joe Crow is really supportive of African-Americans, then why would he do that? Because more African-Americans were affected by Major League Baseball leaving, including their small businesses, with a population of Atlanta being about 51%. But when you go to Denver, it's about 9%. What is Joe talking about? And when Joe wants to come to Georgia, yeah, that's a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face to those African-American businesses and other businesses who invested their money getting prepared for Major League Baseball. I've never seen anybody sell T-shirts and other types of paraphernalia when you're repairing roads and, 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 and repairing bridges. 
So all of those folks who are affected by that, they have lost out, lost out because of Joe Biden, and they can't recoup that. So yes, it's a slap in the face for Joe Crow to come to Georgia with that rhetoric about what he's going to do for this infrastructure. He is destroying our infrastructure. He's destroying people's lives. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, clearly, uh, Joe Crow, not a slip of the tongue. Joe Crow, you're, you're making a point with uh, calling him that. Well, what are you trying to, in essence, say about uh, him and his relationship with the African-American community? Or, or I don't want to put words, words in your mouth. What are, what are you saying when you, when you say Joe Crow? Yes, you don't have to put words in my mouth. Let me, let me express <laughs> myself. Joe Biden has a history of bigotry. Going back to Robert Byrd, who he supported and eulogized, who was a card-carrying chapter president of the Ku Klux Klan. Joe Biden was the one who, who passed a crime bill that put literally thousands of black men and women in jail, just destroyed their families. Joe Biden was the one who said that if, you, if you're not black, if you, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. He's the one who said that black people are less diverse in their thinking as Latinos. Then more recently, he said that black people are disproportionately affected by COVID because they don't know how to go online and look up information. He is a complete bigot. He owned property that the deed were restricted, was restricted that you couldn't sell it to a black family. What has Joe Biden done for African-Americans since he's been in there? I know he did executive order on stop the hate crime on, on, on the Asian community, but he hasn't done that on the African-American community. Uh, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer remind me of the Wizard of Oz. One has no brain, the other has no heart, and the other has no courage, and not necessarily in that order. And they're being led not by Dorothy and Toto, but by the Wicked Witch of the South, Stacey Abrams. <laughs> well, that, oh my goodness, uh, Vernon, you are uh, literally, can I get a, a fire emoji? You are on fire today. Let, let me ask you about Stacey Abrams and that governor race down there. First of all, Brian Kemp, how hard will it be in that primary? And then kind of transition into Stacey Abrams. We've got about a minute or so, a minute and a half left. Brian, Brian Kemp is weak. His leadership is weak. He did not meet with the business community. He allowed Coca-Cola and, and uh, the other major corporations like Delta to come out against that voter ID law. Uh, he is weak and caved in to Stacey Abrams. He helped craft the legislation where they did the sell, I should say, helped craft the settlement agreement that literally tainted our election process. Uh, we call him, uh, believe it or not, Brino, Brino Kemp because he's the best rhino we've ever seen. He cut and ran on the president. He cut and ran on election integrity. And people in Georgia are not going to let that image of him doing that get away. He is a dead man walking. People want to fight or somebody like me who will stand up to the left. They can't play the race card on me. They can't play any card on me. We're going to take that fight to him. And when we finish with Brian Kemp, then we're going to head over to Stacey Abrams. And you know what? She'll be wearing a red dress by the time we finish this election. <laughs> well, you mentioned that they can't play the race card against you. That's exactly right. As we wrap up, I only got 20 seconds. I mean, uh, Georgia is an interesting state, and it's and it's kind of ground zero for a lot of a lot of what's going on as it relates to not just the electorate, but uh, af the African American vote down there as well. I got about 20 seconds or so. Stacey Abrams and the Democrats have been hustling African American votes. Stacey's getting paid. She's a hustler. Georgia's a red state. President Trump has done more for the African-American community than all the liberals have in the past 60 years. He did it in four years. And clearly, Vernon Jones is governor of this state. We're going to open up the floodgates. We're going to treat everybody right, regardless of your color. We're going to create job opportunities. We're going to make sure we protect election integrity. And for the black community yep. specifically, school choice. We want their children to get a quality education as well. Yep. Vernon Jones, love to have you back on the show. Thank you so very much. All right, Vernon Jones, up against a tough break, or a tough break, a hard break. Back in a moment, I need a cold shower. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, The new U.S. Census is out. Here's a Just the News headline. It says the U.S. Census Bureau announces that Texas is going to gain two congressional seats. California will lose one. There's so much more to unpack. Uh, Inside elections, actually, uh, with Nathan Gonzalez uh, put this out. Let me read this to you. It's hard to land on a set number for a gain or loss of seats due to redistricting because new lines are only part of the process. The actual maps, the strength of individual candidates, and the overall political environment will help determine how many seats Republicans and Democrats gain or lose. We're months away from knowing where the precise districts will be and the voters' mood. And to get more on that, guess what? Nathan Gonzalez, the editor of Inside Elections, is back with us. Nathan, great to see you, sir. Thank you for having me back. Uh, confronting me with my own words. Yes, uh, this is your life, Nathan Gonzalez. Uh, we're, we're bringing your words back to life. So why don't you expand on some of those words uh, as it relates to what should we take away overall from this, this U.S. Census? Uh, I'm assuming it helps Republicans, or at least that's what it seems like. Yeah, so, you know, this is a multi-step process. Um, Before we get to redistricting, we had to do what just happened yesterday, which is apportionment, which some states gained or lost congressional districts uh, based on population growth or loss over the last decade. Now, this whole process is delayed because the information that we just got yesterday was actually supposed to come out at the end of December. And the information that we're supposed to get from the Census Bureau in September, which helps the states actually draw the lines, that should have already been coming out now. So the process is delayed and it's forcing some states to move their filing deadlines and their primaries. Um, One thing that we saw a shift in congressional seats and and population from the east and the upper Midwest um, and those that population shifting to the south and the mountain west. Um, And just looking at the states, though, it's more complicated than, say, you know, New York lost one seat. Uh, It is a Democratic state, uh, but Democrats are in control, uh, ultimately in control of the redistricting process. So they could actually um, force, you know, make it difficult. They could have Republicans lose a seat by drawing a map, even though it's a Democratic state, if that makes sense. And, And Texas gained two seats. Florida gained a seat. But that was actually... Uh, under what uh, estimations, it looked like Texas was going to gain three and Florida was going to gain two. And so how does that impact Republicans? That means Republicans who are in control of drawing the lines in those states actually have fewer districts um, to draw than what we thought in estimations before the announcement came out. Yeah. So where are we on the power center here? When I say power center, it seems like the power, I don't want to say is shifting. There, this power center is going to be obviously in the heavy, heavily populated areas, but the Sun Belt. Uh, more out west, it seems like th- there, there's more to gain or there's a lot more political power out there uh, after this census than before. Yeah, I mean, the population is shifting south and shifting west, but it just hasn't been at the same rate. I mean, it looked like Arizona was going to gain a seat and go to 10, but they didn't. Uh, they, will, they will remain at nine seats for uh, for the next decade. Uh, and so there, there is that shift going on. It just isn't as as prominent or as quick as what we thought. And, and there are multiple hypotheses. One of them is that um, Hispanic voters were undercounted. Um, 
And some people are blaming the Trump administration who oversaw the census for that. Um, but other another explanation would be that because of COVID, um, different uh, people were displaced and, you know, maybe threw things off a little bit because it, it was we weren't operating under you know, a nor normal conditions. All right. Just so I understand, are, are you saying that the criticism of the Trump administration at the time, I'm trying to remember, that was about illegal, whether or not illegal immigrants should be or, or um, migrants should be counted? I, I'm trying to understand. What right. Whether, right. Yeah. It had to do with the question wording and undocumented, uh, undocumented immigrants and, and, you know, whether they should be counted, but also in the implementation, um, whether enough resources were spent trying to reach out to voters who are harder to reach. Oh. Um, but, you know, and I know I know Republicans uh, who are actively looking at redistricting say if you look at the dollars that were spent, there was actually a great investment uh, in, in trying to get those communities. And so I'm, I'm presenting it as one hypothesis, but also it could be a COVID, that COVID-19 uh, impact that shifted things as well. Okay, let's let's get to this overall. Can Republicans take back the House in 2022? We've talked about it before. We had Kevin McCarthy on last week uh, on the show. Here, here's what he said. I want to ask you about 2022 uh, and the prospects for taking over the House. Uh, on a, Kind of on the scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that uh, you guys will be back in the majority in 2022? Look, uh, majorities are not given, they're earned. But I, I believe in a 10, we're going to do it. Nathan, your take. Uh, I th Republicans should be disappointed if they do not win back the majority. I mean, the things are lined up for them to do it. Uh, historically, the president's party loses seats, at least a couple of dozen seats. And, you know, so that would be you know, a couple of dozen versus Republicans only need to gain five uh, in redistricting, which we got. Uh, Republicans are in control of drawing more districts compared to Democrats. Um, the four states to watch are Florida, Texas, Georgia, and North Carolina, where Republicans ha um, have the have the pen or they have the the computers that will that will draw those maps, and you know they could gain a couple of seats with help from redistricting. So you know it, it would I think Republicans are the favorites, but my my pause in saying that is that uh, we need to know what the districts actually look like. We need to know what the strength of the candidates are. And, and what is the overall mood of, of the electorate, you know, because they may not be looking to punish Democrats if they think Democrats have done a good job over the, the two years before the midterms. So if re Republicans should be disappointed if they if they don't gain the majority, what what's kind of like the worst case scenario for Republicans? Like, how does this go south on Republicans? How, how, do, how do they kind of bungle this? How do, how do they lose a, a real shot at the majority here? How do how do they how do they capture defeat from the jaws of victory? Pretty much, basically? exactly, exactly. Um, you know, a part of it may not be in their control. If if we get beyond as a country, we're healthier. Um, you know, from a from a personal perspective, from a, a economic perspective, and so that there just isn't if there isn't voter angst to change, then that would be more difficult for Republicans. And and if Republicans uh, get branded as a party that is not in step with the American people, then that might turn off independent voters uh, that they would need to um, that they would need to win. But you know, those are uh, some of that is under their control. Some of that is is not in not in control. Yeah, and, and one yeah, good, good. Go ahead. can I tell one, redistric yep, one yep. redistricting story? The reason why I pause even when the lines are drawn be, uh, in in terms of declaring who has the advantage is because the candidates matter. 20 years ago, there was a district that Democrats do, drew for a Democratic, a black Democratic candidate. It ended up that he had gotten arrested before uh, for disorderly conduct at an Applebee's over a basket of chicken fingers. 
Um, he'd been arrested a couple other times. But the bottom line is that a district that was drawn to elect a young black Democrat actually elected an old white Republican college professor named Max Burns. And mm. so yeah. when, even when we get these lines, we still got to run the races and, and see how it how it plays gotta, out. Got to beware for the, the chicken fingers is the key. So Nathan, <laughs> thanks, Nathan. I appreciate it. No All right, Nathan Gonzalez, love to have his insight on the show. Uh, back in a moment with Ken Blackwell talking about Jim Crow. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Hey, look, elections have consequences. When Donald Trump was president, he got to appoint and nominate, actually, and confirm three Supreme Court justices. So technically, it's kind of a 6-3 uh, situation conservative-wise on the court, though, hey, asterisk with John Roberts. I don't trust Roberts, so I'm calling it 5-4, but that's a separate uh, segment. Uh, and this is what the Supreme Court is actually going to decide uh, here uh, in this term, uh, whether the Second Amendment protects concealed carry of firearms. Uh, Ken Blackwell, uh, who is the former Ohio uh, Secretary of State and a distinguished fellow at the Family Research Council, joins us now uh, with more on that. Ken, always great to see you again, sir. Good to be with you, David. Well, what's your take on this? This is a big deal about what the Supreme Court is about to weigh in on here at some point. Uh, it, it, it really is. Let me just set it up by saying, as a former mayor, uh, I am always interested in police response times to cries for help. Uh, it used to be that there was a seven minute response. Now it's more like 27 you know, minute response. Uh, and that means that a lot of neg- negativity can happen uh, in, that, in that time span. Uh, and so I think it's, the, the, the Supreme Court is gonna have to make a decision whether or not they will actually say that the Second Amendment only applies to your safety behind your door at home. I don't think that that's the case. Uh, and so that's why this decision is so, so big. This has nothing to do with whether or not states uh, and, and localities can ask you to, to you know, show your ID, to register. This has to do with can they strip your Second Amendment rights away from you when it comes to your protecting yourself outside of your home? And I think that that's a big issue. And the second issue is the left is terrified by this because this court will probably rule in favor of a full protection of the Second Amendment. Uh, But that's why they want to pack the courts. That's why they want to change the calculus. That's why they want to change the numbers. Uh, And that's why this is such a big deal that the court is going to take it on now. You know, what's interesting here, Ken, is that Donald Trump may be out of office, but the legacy continues. And, you know, this is generational at the Supreme Court. I mean, and and not just at the Supreme Court, but at the federal appeals court level as well. 
It is. I mean, it, the, that was a major accomplishment. It was a signature accomplishment. Uh, and I and I say that it, it also uh, we should give recognition that that was an accomplishment that was a, that was completed because you had a president that was focused and determined and you had a, a leader in McConnell who was, in fact, working in concert to make to make sure that they cleared the table uh, to to push this uh, the this shaping of the courts through through accelerated uh, uh, confirmations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know McConnell and Trump have uh, obviously had their differences, but the truth of the matter is they work very well uh, when it came to one of the most, if not the most important uh, item out there. Uh, I, I want to switch gears. Uh, here we go with the Democrats. I mean, uh, they're pushing this Jim Crow narrative. As a matter of fact, you wrote a Washington Times op-ed, uh, and the title is How Low Will Democrats Go on Pushing uh, the Jim Crow Narrative? I want to get your, your take on, on your overall uh, basically your overall theme here of what you're trying to say here. And as a matter of fact, let me, before I get to that, I'll read a little bit of this. You say, uh, Democrats should know their current claims are preposterous. As the old saying goes, they have a lot of nerve. Take it from there, Ken. Well, look, there, there's a clash of worldviews here. You know, the Democrats and, and the radical left are locked in on what I call the 1619 model. Uh, and they are basically saying, that America is irreparably racist, must be totally torn down and, and restructured. Uh, they totally ignore what happened in 1776. Uh, and as a consequence of Lincoln saying, we're not perfect, but we are perfectible, and understanding that great nations are not the products of great governments, but good people doing great things together, that is, that is why they are turning to meaning the left and the Democrats to this whole notion that something as simple as asking for a photo ID when you vote as racist and as remnant of uh, a remnant of Jim Crow. Well, look, anybody who knows this, that is, is one, it's free. Two, it is common practice. You know, look, I had David, I'm a I'm a shareholder in the Cincinnati Reds, mm -hmm. uh, and and when the baseball commissioner went off on this track of this is racism and Jim Crow, a return to Jim Crow, uh, I asked a simple question: If somebody left a ticket for me at will call, and I went to get it, what would I have to do? I would have to show an ID to say that I am who I claim to be. Same thing for Coca-Cola, same thing for Delta. To get into their offices, uh, corporate headquarters, you have to show a photo ID. Look, this is off the chain. It's ridiculous, uh, and we must push back. You cannot compare you know, these common sense reforms with the practices of an era known as Jim Crow. Well, and, and Jim Crow was such a stain on our nation, and I can use a lot more stronger words than that. And you must take personal offense. Uh, all of us as Americans should take personal offense, really, that that, that is being even invoked now by Democrats. Oh, I, I, absolutely. Look, Martin Luther King said it, said it best in a book that he wrote, but in, 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 in speeches that he gave. We have a fundamental choice today as they did in the 60s. Do we choose community? or chaos. 
The left is in fact cr creating chaos. We in fact must choose community. That's how we've moved you know, this country towards a more perfect union. Okay. And that's why people are breaking our laws to get in, you know, and nobody's breaking their necks to get out. <laughs> because in 245 years, we have become the most diverse, the most prosperous, the most free constitutional republic in world history. And we did it in just 245 years. We moved from the institution of slavery to electing Barack Obama, yeah. to electing black senators and, and congressmen and women. Mm -hmm. Enough of this yeah. nonsense. Ken Blackwell, really appreciate you. Thanks for uh, uh, speaking out. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Ken Blackwell with the Family Research Center. We're back in a moment with the last sip for the White House briefing every day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. Hey, uh, so I was at the White House briefing the other day, uh, Jen Saki, uh, Saki Sot. We, we got the Saki Sot in yesterday. Uh, you know, as you, as you know, I host the show. I also work for CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. CBN has a seat in the back row. I'm the guy with the John 316 sign. <laughs> Just kidding. But anyhow, I was there and I got a chance to ask Jen Saki a question. It was about unity and all of that. Hey, uh, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Pretty decent question. Uh, look at the headlines here from the liberal uh, blogs. <laughs> <laughs> Jen Psaki smacks down CBN reporter who asked that what Biden not meeting with House Minority Leader says about unity. Anyhow, let me put up another one. Uh, here's this one from, uh, oh, LGBTQ Nation. I'm sure they're not liberal. Uh, Jen Psaki claps back at evangelical reporter whining about Biden's lack of unity. Let me, let me be clear uh, for LGBTQ um, and, and all the rest of uh, you folks out there. I wasn't whining. Like, I wasn't like this. Jen, I have a question. I wasn't whining. Okay, number one. Number, so, so it's a misleading headline. Number two, it's, it's funny how the media is spinning what I asked Jen Psaki. And this is exactly, folks, what we've been talking about all along about media bias, right? Those headlines. And we can put that first one up uh, again. As a matter of fact, we can put both, either one of them up again. But once again, these are the headlines uh, where they take it totally out of context. Uh, first of all, smacks down CBN reporter. What they're referring to is Jen Psaki uh, pushing back on me when I asked about House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy not meeting with Joe Biden, the fact that Biden hasn't even reached out uh, to, uh, Biden hasn't reached out to McCarthy. And I said that tens of millions of, of uh, folks in America are frustrated that there's no unity coming from Joe Biden. But then I went on to list H.R. 1 and budget reconciliation and all the stuff that uh, this Biden administration is doing. That didn't get in the headlines at all. In other words, it was just a smackdown to me because Jen Psaki came back at me and said, well, do you think tens of millions of people are actually, actually care that Biden didn't reach out to Kevin McCarthy? And I said, thank you very much. No, they don't care about that. They care about H.R. 1, budget reconciliation, et cetera, et cetera. That part never got in the headline. Instead, it was a smackdown of the CBN reporter. Here's my point. 
It's not about me, though a lot of times it is, quite frankly. But in this case, I'm not putting that up to talk about me. I'm talking about media buys here and exactly what they do. This is what they do. They take it totally out of context, and this is why no one trusts the media. Now, I know these are liberal uh, blogs, but listen, trust me, I've got a couple other ones I can show you that were in the mainstream media as well. Anyhow, we're back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. End of the show, and guess who is here? Anna Perez, Real America's Voice correspondent. A pleasure. I use different words. A pleasure to see you today. No, it's my pleasure. <laughs> so it's your pleasure to see me. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for getting that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> this Yale study, uh, you were telling me about it in the break. What's, what's going on exactly? Uh, this, this seems very interesting on the surface, but then again, you're going to give me details. What's happening? Well, so two uh, Yale researchers found that race-based language could actually be hurting the Democratic Party's ability to uh, garner support for some of their more progressive policies. Hmm. Uh, and this kind of goes against the wisdom of people like Joe Biden, who are obviously very race-focused, you know, Kamala Harris, a lot of basically pretty much all uh, Democrats right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's interesting about that is I think they're, I mean, this is kind of basic politics, you would think, to not want to alienate part of your base. Right. But what they've done, I think, over the years is they've, you know, looked at race as what they think is a way to garner support, almost to make up for the fact that they, these are usually very well-off people, the you know people in charge, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Maxine mm-hmm. Waters, many of them own multi-million dollar homes, you know, and they're very disconnected from reality. So they feel like, okay, maybe we have a chance here at getting you know, a lot of support from minority communities. Because another problem with the left is that they don't really see the difference between, you know, being a minority and being poor. You know, Joe Biden said it himself when he said, you know, uh, poor kids are just as smart as white kids. What was that? Don't get me started. Go ahead. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, that's how they, they, they're very clear about how they see minorities and how they see poor people and how Mm -hmm. they're one and the same. And yes, it's true. You can make the argument that, you know, blacks and Hispanics do tend to be less better off economically than mm-hmm. white people. Um, but there's all kinds of other factors contributing to that that we could get into, you know, another time. But as far as this study goes, I think it really proves that, you know, the way that they're, they've used their rhetoric has hurt themselves yeah. and they're alienating their base. And, you know, Trump in 2016 was partly able to win because he was able to garner support from mm-hmm. previous Obama voters that mm-hmm. felt like they were being ignored. And, you know, that's when we really saw the race-focused language. And, you know, a lot of middle-class Americans who don't necessarily care about race in general. They're white and black who, Mm -hmm. you know, weren't doing well under him, saw this as, you know, a problem and decided to vote for Trump. I I totally agree with you. I know you could go another three minutes on this, but it's true, right? (laughs) I have another three hours. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Sorry to underestimate you. Uh, Yeah, but when you said alienating the base, you're absolutely right. I mean, hello, suburban moderates, you know, you're going to tick them off by by doing this. Anyhow, uh, a pleasure to see you. Pleasure to see you. Thank you. <laughs> it's your pleasure. Just anyhow. All right. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Colonel Alan West, uh, Russ Vote, Rick Green. See you tomorrow.